Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to episode 134 of Wait, What? A Comics and Pop Culture Peacely. In a world torn apart by internet controversy, only one man dares to be the linchpin between order and chaos. Now, Graham McMillan joins me in a somewhat blah week for comics to discuss J.H. Williams the Third leaving Batwoman, Forever Evil by Jeff Johns and David Finch, The Star Wars by J.W. Rinsler and Mike Mayhew, 2000 AD, Judge Dredd Magazine, Third World War by Pat Mills and Carlos Escara, Yakatate Japan, Jeff and his various poor life decisions, ROM Annual Number 1, Captain Victory, Steve Englehart, and a special cameo appearance in this episode by Max Headroom. Slightly truncated show notes for this episode are available over at SavageCritic.com, and we welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. As always, we thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Graham McMillan. Jeff Lester, every single week we have to have a full start. Have you noticed this? I do, I do, and it's a it's little... It's really weird. Vexing. I sort of half wonder... You know, it's funny, because I've actually FaceTimed with two members of my family in the last week, and in both... Both situations, trying to connect with them was utter fucking hell. Utter fucking hell. So what we're saying is, Apple, get your shit together. Yeah, that is what we're saying. You're making it more difficult for us to podcast, Apple. Well, did you hear about why, by the way? Yes. Wait, why is it more difficult to podcast? Uh, Why it's more difficult to FaceTime than it used to be. No, you should tell me. Apple was planning on making FaceTime like an open shared technology that other people can build apps off of and things. They got hit by what a very Apple-friendly source calls a patent troll, which could very well be somebody with a viable patent who were able to show that one of the core technologies at at the core of FaceTime is something that they use um, and that that the original company developed. It has something to do with the... uh, the direct servers that that allow you and I to interact with one another. Okay. So because Apple has lost that suit, they are no longer using that protocol. So our connections are slower and weirder. And it's also part of the reason. Yeah. It's also part of the reason why they haven't supposedly rolled out the technology for people is an open source thing for people to share to use and build off of or whatever. Listeners, welcome to tech. What? Our new tech spin-off of Wade Watt. I also have to apologize right now, listeners, in advance. Um, literally, like, five minutes ago, I suddenly developed incredibly bad burping, and so I'm really, really hoping that I'm not going to burp during this Oh, podcast. man, this is going to be the best. I honestly just put my headphones on. I was like, bruh, bruh, oh, shit. <laughs> That is awesome. I think that that's so great considering there was that four-month period where people who listened to the podcast had that game, like, what is Jeff eating now or whatever, based entirely on my... Which you have totally stopped now that I can see you. Obviously, you have food shame that you can't deal with me watching you eat. I don't think I was ever eating anything. At best, I was drinking something. Uh, There were a few times where I ate things. But really, out of our 130-some-odd episodes or 190-plus... Yes. This is uh, episode 134, according to the numbering. And I, I'm glad you brought that up, because I was listening to a lot of podcasts over the weekend. Uh, and they almost all start with, like, this is blah, 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 episode number, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, we should start off every episode by going, this is episode number 100 and what? You right. know? 
Right. We we should make a point of saying, hey, fuckers, there's there's like 133 of these that you might not have listened to. You should do that because it's all about the continuity and wait what. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I think for the last batch of them, most of most of them do say after I introduce us, it's like, well, welcome to episode blah blah blah, or it's episode blah blah blah, you know. I but you, but you wanted it at the front of things, yeah, Graham. I wanted the very very start, oh so that like anyone tuning in for the first time, because you know you tune into podcasts. That's how the, <laughs> that's how the technology works, Jeff. Anyone <laughs> tuning in for the first time will immediately have that moment of. Oh shit! Should I listen to the earlier ones? <laughs> sort of dialed in with or flopped over with the idea of, well, this must be good. It's been going on for 133 episodes already. That's what you I'm know, trying th- to point this, out. This isn't a flash in the pan. And so what I'm saying, <laughs> listeners, is if you've made it this far, a it is a flash in the pan. It's just a particularly long slow motion flash. And b do not put yourself through the earlier episodes. There's some, t- like the one where we just talk about Oasis, like liner notes. Best yeah, one. Best one ever. That's okay. why I will never top that one. That's why they shouldn't listen to it. It's all downhill from there. Also, the great thing is, is you having said all that, I can just copy this and edit it. And that's our introduction now <laughs> for this episode. I don't have to say anything. You can just say that. Maybe we'll do that for each one to go. So I think this is perfect. Okay, that episode 134, Jeff Lester, on the day, actually, the day after, uh, J.H. Williams made the internet go crazy by saying, hey, DC didn't let me gay marry Batwoman, only joking, it's not gay they have a problem with, it's marriage. (laughs) Which, I I have to say, I mean, he, I thought he did a pretty good responsible job sort of cleaning that up, you know? I mean, I think that's... he, He didn't, he didn't. Because there's still a shit ton of why is DC so homophobic going around, which is kind of hilarious. Like, because he did really quickly, like, within, like, definitely within an hour, but I mean, within, mm-hmm. like, half an hour, mm-hmm. he was saying, yeah, it's not a- an anti-gay thing. Yeah. Even um, Gil Simone even said it's an anti-marriage thing. And he was like, Gail is right. Like, he made it complete. <laughs> he did. That's uh, That was actually his response. Yes. Gail is right was actually his response. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's he clearly was must have realized at some point oh I, I I think I've just made everyone who wants to complain about DC being like morally abhorrent I've just given them amazing ammunition yeah 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 uh, I, I was like maybe I should clean that up they are still paying my wages after all <laughs> um, but yeah it, it's it was just it was hilarious like I saw it last night at when whenever it was like ten o'clock or something. And right. I, mm-hmm. I saw it last night and I was like, oh, I I know what I'm writing about tomorrow. <laughs> and then by this morning, it was like, oh, the internet's gone crazy. Why did, why am I even surprised? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and Lord, the wonderful and delightful Lauren Davis, who I saw for lunch, was also telling me there's some stuff going on with uh, Penny Arcade and the Penny Arcade Expo. Do you know about that? Oh well? yes, the Dick Wolves. Yes. Yes. So uh, you you know about this or not? Just from what Lauren told me, because I haven't had a chance to go and check it out. But uh, do, do you want to explain it to me? Because I think that's also worth uh, mentioning. I feel. So the short version is uh, a couple of years ago now, I guess. Yep. Um, Benny Arcade did a, a strip that basically the punchline was, and Dick Wolves will rape people to sleep. And people at the time were kind of upset by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, thought they were making light of rape. 
<laughs> and then they were particularly upset when Pen Arcade then launched the line of Dick Wolf's t-shirts. Yes. Um, Pen Arcade then took the t-shirts off the market. Right. Understandably. Because, you know, there's a joke in context and there's a joke out of context, shall we say. Um, and then this weekend at, the, at, the, at PAX in Seattle, um, what I think it was the artists essentially said when asked, you know, is there anything you would have done differently? He more or less was like, yeah, we shouldn't have taken those t-shirts off the market. That was an overreaction, prompting a whole new firestorm of, well, yes, you should. Right. And why are you so amazingly insensitive to not realize what you're saying, you fucking moron? Yes. Um, so yeah, that, that's been going on in the background as well. What's been fascinating about that is seeing the the various responses to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel there are multiple levels of conversation going on here. There's people who are discovering it for the first time and are like, dick wolves? Oh, holy shit. Right. Raping people to sleep? Oh, holy shit. And then there's the others being like, I can't believe he hasn't... Like, he basically still does not realize why this was offensive. Right. And I don't get why he... Or not even I don't get. I am stunned that he does not realize why his new comments are as of, are, are also offensive. Yes. You know, yes. There's, there's, there's multiple levels of outrage and upset. Yeah. Um, and, of course, every single time you have one of those those conversations you also get the people coming back with you don't have any sense of humor also we can't talk about rape without you politically correct police you know jumping down our throats and so you also get the different levels of people uh basically accusing everyone of being concerned trolls right at at the same time uh and so yeah it's uh it's a week of outrage on the internet jeff what are you (laughs) pissed off about what are you upset about who has tried to keep you down yeah the man who is the man well let me tell you um uh well there's a couple of things that i really want to complain about <laughs> and interesting love most of them are this week's comics uh awesome i, I want to complain about forever evil number one did you pick it up i picked it up digitally um uh i picked it up digitally because i got an email from uh, Michael at Newsarama mm-hmm. like that morning and when I say that morning I mean like 6 o'clock that morning or something <laughs> and he's like have you read it <laughs> and I was like no but I could read it now I could buy it digitally I guess and he was like yes you should <laughs> and, and he basically just did that because he wanted me to do a top 10 based on the Nightwing thing oh. but he didn't he didn't say that <laughs> like have you read it and I was like well there's obviously got to be something earth shattering in here and the earth shattering thing was how non-earth-shattering that comic was. I mean, it's... It's not even that it's not good. It, to me, it was really fucking bland. Like, See, I that's was, it. I was surprised by how boring it was. It, it, it was dull at its best points. There are parts of it that I actually think are... I don't know about genuinely terrible, but I guess it seems like... Um, you know, it's funny, is and a great thing is I get to blame you for this because I really uh, after Trinity I was War. Like, hey, Trinity War, yeah, right, you're right. I was like, okay, well, yeah. I'll go in on this. This is John's clearly, and there are those times where I feel like John's has his own projects, and then he's okay, got the. This is... Oh really? Oh, hmm. All right. Well, you have indeed frozen, which is kind of I'm blaming it on Apple you. Apple not want to use tell me. Oh no, you're back. You're back. I, I'm back. See, that was great because I was actually blaming it on Apple. Ah, good. That's good. See, that's a good change of pace. Except I think maybe... I, 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 thought, I thought that perhaps... I thought that maybe Apple didn't want us to discuss 
how terrible Forever Evil was. <laughs> that it was could like be a it. corporate siblings thing. They yeah. were like, hey, you know, DC wouldn't let someone diss an iPod in our comics, so we're not going to let anyone use our technology to diss a DC comic. <laughs> and the sad about that is, sorry, Apple, I think people are already doing that. That is true. The amount true. of frantic text messaging that would have gone on about the reveal of Nightwing, I can only imagine, Jeff. <laughs> The scary part is you are slowly turning into Max Headroom, which I think was probably like a huge aspiration of yours when you were younger, but... I loved that show. <laughs> loved it. Loved... Especially, I loved the original, mm-hmm. and then I loved when they did the dramatization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, when when they did the series. I Yeah, that, that was a big, big deal for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, good, good news. You are one step uh, away from becoming a... I have the shiny plastic... Tuxedo, I have <laughs> the like weirdly gelled hair that looks plastic. It's very exciting. And you keep cutting in and out and and stammering, basically. <laughs> I'm really not stammering. I'm maybe it sounds like I'm stammering. It's to make it does it make me sound like I'm stammering? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The connection stammering. is that classic Max Headroom kind of like, yeah. So it sounds like I'll be g- 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 going there soon. You know, kind of concept. It's ah, like, wow, that's it's so great. yeah. Tell you what, Jeff. Why don't uh, I call you back in like two minutes? I will restart the internet and see if that makes any difference. Okay, that sounds good. Also, it's going to be interesting. I sort of half think that part of the problem, because this is me being obsessive, is um. Uh, is like the more the more that yeah FaceTime is engaged and you are moving like that sadly that sort of crazy like hey I'm a front man at a band and it's 2am and I'm still on stage kind of thing that you're doing is probably better for our connection than rebooting the internet this is better I should just keep moving I, I think so I think so let's oh, see if God, it happens no no no, no like, because what happens is when you stopped moving that. with the light I, and stuff I like that just... I can't just do this the entire, like, two hours. I will get tired. Listeners, uh, if we're still recording, which I presume we are, yes. uh, what you're what you're not seeing is that I'm currently swaying side to side, in part because I was just making fun of the whole Max Headroom thing when I started, and Je- then Jeff was like, hey, you should keep doing that, yeah. which is kind of terrifying. I really will. Oh, I'll get seasick after a while uh, and also tired. We'll see how it works out. Okay, well, all I can say is there are no tech problems here. Because when you were absolutely still, um, with the light coming in behind you, there's not a lot of, oh, man, it's a Kula Shaker moment, everybody. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, that was, I, no, 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 Jeff, no. No, we will not go down the Kula Shaker route. No. This is the best no. road possible. This is no. great. No, we're, we're not going down the Kula Shaker route. Neither key nor peasants, pigs, and astronauts there, shall we just say, underrated second album. No, we're not going down either. This is great. This I really, is perfect. Really hope I, got, I really hope I got the name of the album. I sure hope you did. Are you leaning over to check now? Okay. So- I, no, I, I'm I'm turning on the light. I'm actually going to uh, close the lights behind me just in, for, in case for some reason, like, the light is screwing us up. That's what I think is to- screwing us up, exactly. Because what was happening was the way the light was angling in, it was washing out all the detail in your face. And I kind of felt like FaceTime didn't know how to read FaceTime you. FaceTime was like, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah, exactly. This exactly. is the weirdest opening we've had to a podcast for quite some time. Because we had like a little bit of weirdness, then we went straight into comic, and then we came straight out of the comic. Yeah, in fact, we had a chance to think about it. Okay, you, talk about Forever Evil. Why didn't you like it, Jeff? Uh, well, okay, it was really dull. Um, yes. 
it felt really manufactured and manufactured in a trite way and and I also know that on the one hand there's a very good chance that Jeff John that his opening is going to pay off later like as a way of like I'm introducing you to the other characters in the series by seeing the by showing you the justice the non-justice league the crime syndicate league yeah. breaking in and doing their stuff and having people like the rogues go oh holy shit or having luther go oh holy shit or having black manta go oh holy holy shit but it felt like I'm like like about the sixth time I'm like he's just writing the same two pages over and over again you know and it really did not feel any different from that you you clearly thought that or at least he was clearly like I'm going to show how awe-inspiring this is and instead you're just like okay we get it okay they're doing stuff we're doing stuff that you're not going to give us we get it it's interesting you said the thing about the people at the beginning because I was I can't work out if the Thomas Card reference at the very start is an Easter egg or is setting up Ted Card to make an appearance later on. Right, right. Like uh, if it's going to be some sort of like Blue Beetle reboot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think I think it could honestly go either way. I, it could be both, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I'm not, you know, so I was kind of like, oh, that's fine, but it was more the, um, and that first sequence with Luther, because it, it plays out over the course of like four or five pages, fine for what it is. I was okay with it. But then by the time that you start having that variations on that rehappen with the rogues with with, you know, Deathstorm and uh Power Ring showing up, it just uh, it it just felt like a very hastily at best and and pretty much shoddy kind of book, you know, where Yeah. For the first issue of, you know, the first event of the New 52, A, so little happens. Yes. And B, what does happen, happens so amazingly boringly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, like the whole Nightwing reveal thing is, like, that is the least I've ever seen Jeff Johns pretend to care about a character. You know what I mean? Like, his, like, three panels of dialogue that he gives Nightwing, like, mm-hmm. is barely anything at all like normally Jeff Johns in the past would be like okay here's what I'm going to do to either show you that I get what the appeal is of the character I'm going to explain what the appeal is of the character or I'm just going to set up enough stuff so that if you've never come across this character before you know who they're you supposed to be yeah. Yeah. yeah and that what was super weird about that scene as well is having Batgirl as Oracle because she's yeah. Oracle yeah like yeah. that, 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 it felt like it came, like he literally just cut and pasted it from something else and had just, you know, oh, I'll just change the names. Right. Find and replace. Oracle becomes Batgirl. Yeah. 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 Totally. It was so weird. Like, in what, I, again, I'm not really reading Batgirl and I don't read Nightwing. Mm-hmm. But has this been a thing all along where, like, they talk to each other, like, anytime she comes into, anytime he comes into Gotham and she's like, I'm just keeping track of you on the computer, you know, like I used to. Right. Exactly. Like that, that was it was so yeah, the whole thing was really, really, really it familiar as well. Did you not think that? Did you not think it seemed really like by the numbers? I feel that like we've mm-hmm. seen this sort of like, you know, here's a flash of someone we'll see later in series, here's a flash of someone we'll see later in series. It's all setting stuff up. In uh Infinite Crisis, it really reminds me of the first issues of Infinite Crisis. Yeah. But without that issue's reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. Like Infinite Crisis issue one 
was a very similar book to this. Right. But you got the last page reveal of, it's the old, like, it's the pre-crisis Superman. Yeah. And you're like, oh, holy shit, that's a big deal that they have kept the secret. Whereas this, you're like, okay, they've put the moon in front of the sun. <laughs> you know what? And I, I had that weird moment, interestingly enough, where I was reading it, where I was like, and this is going to sound really dumb, but I honestly thought that at that point, Luther was going to turn into Eclipso, and it was going to be like Eclipso and Luther were going to lead the revolution against... See, that would be interesting. Yes, I know. And then right? when it turned, it was just nothing. I'm like, really? You didn't even go with that, huh? Like, that's kind of a shame that you let me get ahead of you that way, you know? Yeah, I mean, forever, for all we know, that may be issue too. But um, right. I, the other thing is, I really, I really hope, and I don't think it will, but I really hope issue two has some evidence that Jeff Johns knows that if you move the moon in front of the sun like that, you have fucked the planet. Like, there will be environmental reaction to that, yeah. and it's not something you can do. Yeah. Because if, it if it's really just like a this is a cool, like, final page splash, mm -hmm. and it's not followed up on at all, and there's not, you know, horrible environmental disasters that, that it's issue, right. I, I, will, I will really be like... Jeff, you're hacking this one out. Well, and that is that is my that was kind of my suspicion was it was just very much like so I don't know. Oh, it's it's, it's like I said last week. Like I was like, hey, Trinity works uh, much better than I thought. Like mm -hmm. he's sticking when I thought he would sag. This is entirely the opposite. Right. This is hey, I was super excited, and then you give me this. <laughs> exactly. Great. Exactly. Thanks, thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but maybe it's not really. Maybe it's Jeff Jones of Earth Three. <laughs> that would be great. It's like, hello, I'm the evil Jeff Johns. Um, nobody, everyone's going to get their arms reattached in this comic, and yeah, because when they say that's going to change the DC status quo forever, what it means is like Superman's going to come back and he'll have three arms. That would be great if the Justice League come back and they all have three arms. I yeah. Can we talk for a minute about the Justice League is Dead reveal, which is the most half-hearted, half-assed thing ever? Sure. Yeah. Where it's just it's just like, they're dead. You didn't see it. We're going to tell you. And you even have a character be like, of course they're not dead. And then they zap them and they're like, well, they must be dead then. It's so amazingly half-assed. Well, that, that one, okay, there's two half-assed things. One thing is that I thought was kind of funny was is that the, the villain, the person who gets zapped is actually... That's the Justice League. They're just dressing up to trick us, which yeah. I thought was really funny in a um, in a and it doesn't work in the story itself in the reality at all. But there was that moment of like, it's oh, Jeff versus the internet again. <laughs> Do you not think it's 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 a Superboy thing? It, I that's so funny. I didn't think of it as that. I thought of it as a, as a very much a Silver Age shout out. Of, of like for every why because I don't know if people were already saying that that's where he was going to go but the fact is like 80% of the Silver Age st DC stories from that time if you presented it with this idea it would turn out that the Justice League were disguising themselves as a crime syndicate to round everyone up and entrap them and you know what I mean like in a way that yeah. wouldn't make any sense so I thought it was both funny and sad that the guy who's like Mr. because he's like Monocle or whatever he's like hey this is a Silver Age plot Zap! and then he's not and it's like I had one of those moments of like, oh, that's funny. Honestly, it's distracting because it never would have occurred to me before. And I think that's kind of silly. And like you said, the whole like, oh, the Justice League are dead. I'm like, I, this means nothing to me. 
you know yeah, but not only not only does it mean nothing to you like you don't believe it because mm-hmm. you don't right at this point everyone who's reading this comic knows that the justice league is not dead right and so for him not even to try and sell it was kind of amazing to me well again it added to the whole like half-assedness for me it yeah. was just like yeah like you're I mean, obviously, the next issue of Justice League will start with them being like, how did we get here on Earth 3, where the bad guys left us and thought we would die? Oh, we'll find our way back in, check, watch, six months? Is that when it's over? Okay, then. (laughs) But, I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously what's going to happen. Right. Uh, Wait, wait, like, next next month they'll be like, no, they actually are dead. Here is, like, Hal Jordan in, like, limbo again. Right. Um... But yeah, it it was it really surprised me that he didn't like he just didn't try and sell that at all. Like yeah, his trying his trying to sell that is having character going no, they're not, and then he kills them. Yeah, like it's so lazy and so just not there. There's there's not really anything there beyond the trust us. This will go somewhere in the future mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to to bring anyone back in the second issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's part of me where I'm I'm sort of, weirdly enough, I don't have as much problem with it because part of me is, <laughs> because there are people who have been read comic books for like three decades now, the whole like trying to sell someone on a, 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 a story beat like the heroes are dead is very different from the way it used to be now. I think we were talking last week about the... Huh, Spectacular uh, Superior Spider-Man, the whole, like, how Dan Slott really had to... Like, really sell it. Yeah. yeah, he had to fake us out with, like, oh, Peter Parker's coming back already, and then and cutting the legs out from under that. And that really was the point where people started being like, oh, okay, okay, holy fuck, kind of thing. And I think there is a little bit of that, where it's like, everyone expects that first swerve, and so I almost feel like with by John's not spending any time with it, it just it just saves some valuable real estate. My problem is is he doesn't actually go anywhere else at all otherwise. You know, it's just all I mean, apart from Ultraman's snorting kryptonite, which I thought was both, you know, so stupid but kind of funny. Really? I just find that like weirdly sad because it just reminded me of uh Morrison Quitely's Earth Two graphic novel where you get the flash analog shooting up the speed juice. Mm, mm. That's funny. I actually sort of assumed that it was supposed to be more of a Superman 3 shout-out for some reason. I don't know why. Huh, well, no, knowing knowing Jeff Jones, it probably is. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can sort of see it being... I guess you can kind of see it being that way. But, you know, just kind of that idea of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play off of... Like, here's a shorthand for this is evil Superman. And also, this is the most expected thing that you unexpected thing that you can sort of see him doing but but yeah it's I don't know it was pretty weak sauce I have to say I picked it up I paid you know an absurd amount of money for it's, it yeah, it's, it's what $3.99 it's $3.99 yeah, yeah. And it's got that you know quadra gatefold you know fold out thing which I don't know how was that done on the digital version was it just a double page spread poorly <laughs> it was done poorly uh, it was it's it starts out as you see all four pages together. So, in other words, it's a really tiny image, right? Uh, and then they zoom in. Yeah. So they give you like they give you all four pages, and then they give you a double page and a double page. Yeah, it's really funny how the 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 thing with 
double page spreads on a digital device is they now actually work in the exact opposite way. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It gets smaller. Yeah. yeah. No, that's just it. So you get the quadruple page spreads and it's tiny. Yeah, I would think so. Like, so I'm just like. You're just like, huh, this is shit. <laughs> Yeah, they'll have I'm to figure so, out I'm something. I'm supposed to be odd, but it's shit. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm pretty underwhelmed by that. In a different way, I also want to talk briefly about the Star Wars. Oh, which I've not read, and I'm super curious about because I've seen very strongly um, opposed reviews of it. Interesting, interesting. Um... I will tell you my opinion, and then you can tell me where that fits into the spectrum. Because please do, Jeff. Because I'm weirdly split on it in ways in which one thing that I thought was really the 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 artist Mike May- Mayhew did a phenomenal job with his choices. Um, uh, and let, I'll point out a couple, and then I'll have to take some screenshots. But like a, a, a really good example is the Kane Star Killer guy, who um, you see him, see him right there. That's that's him. Yeah. So yeah. you can't really see it, but he's got like a really minor top knot at the top of his his hair, and he also has this Flash Gordon helmet. And one of the things that I I quite like, although it ends up being a little confusing later on when you meet. Um, the maybe he's this and this is this is this is the Skywalker as opposed that, to Star Killer. Skywalker, yeah. 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 He also has the Flash Gordon helmet and in fact the capes. So you can one of the things that's great is like through every stage of this book, um the artist has made and creative team have made really exceptional choices to take the inspirations that for Lucas for his original Star Wars when the, what they were thinking and figuring out ways to work that in. So you've you've got yeah. the Kurosawa style top knots, you've got the Flash Gordon style helmets. Um, you know, you've got you've got some stormtroopers that look, you know, amusingly like generic stormtrooper ripoffs or their star destroyer ships looking, you know, like the Star Destroyers, but actually being small two-man ships. You know, lots of lots of little bits and pieces to make it look like an alternate... Basically, it looks like Lucasfilm from from a parallel Earth, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. That, Which is, is part of the appeal of the, the project. Exactly. Except, and this is what's rough, is for weird old dudes like me, the... Uh, appeal for reading the Star Wars was um, you know when it first came out and I was a kid Star Wars itself uh, there was all sorts of stuff you know we I devoured any piece of Star Wars media that you could get and so I saw a lot of the original art by Ralph McQuarrie right Yeah. the thing that is rough about this is in taking stuff to sort of like by taking this series and putting it sort of halfway between where Lucasfilm is is now and sort of where Lucas was at in his head there, you end up looking like something that is like an alternate reality Lucasfilm of now. But what I really wanted when I picked it up was something that would give me that feeling 
that I got when I looked at Ralph McQuarrie's art. You know what I mean? In other words, I wanted something that's like, this is where the original, this is where the Star Wars I saw was, and this is where Ralph McQuarrie's art was. Yeah. And instead of giving us the distance between those two things, they went in an opposite direction. So there's not enough Macquarie in here for it. Like every once in a while, you'll see a piece, but his figures, I don't know if you remember from the art, but they're, the landscapes are strangely desolate and people are hunched over. It's one of the things I really remember is like, because Macquarie was working really strongly off of the, as much off of fantasy art motif at the time, you know, is there were ways in which it reminded you as much of, if not more, of like the stuff that was being done for like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and not so much the cleaned up Hildebrandt stuff, which, you know, who also memorably went on to do a Star Wars poster, but more the kind of weird, just like, just weird, almost woodcutty type stuff where where things are all strange and kind of gnarled and isolated and it has that weird um uh first edition cover of the stand feeling to it you know and that's what i really wanted and what i got was something that really feels like like i said like alternate reality like this is if the phantom menace had ended up looking like this i would have been really happy in a lot of ways but the fact is, it looks more like the Phantom Menace than it ends to me than it ends up looking like Macquarie's Star Wars. So, as they move into the story and they bring the characters, and it's very much like they're sticking close to you know Lucas's original script. So it's actually kind of a confusing muddle. It doesn't have the clarity that he's able to streamline into it. Um, I can forgive it for that, but when I when I put it down and I was kind of like, ah, I'm severely underwhelmed, I was really underwhelmed because I realized what I had wanted and had eagerly, I mean, I signed up for this in advance so that I would have a copy pre-pulled for me at Comics Experience, is something that was going to catch that Ralph McQuarrie-ish feeling for me, and it kind of didn't work out. Again, I'm kind of wondering: is the problem is that does this make it a bad book, or does this mean that just your expectations were off with what it actually is? Well, I think I think my expectations are off because, like I said, there's a lot about it that I appreciated, and one thing that I also think that Dark Horse did a very good job with is they released a lot of preview images, they released a lot of preview material, and I think they, you know, and there might have even been like a multi-page preview thing that I chose to ignore because I didn't want my experience to sort of be spoiled, you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe if I checked those things out, I would have had a little, it would have been a little bit easier for me to go like, oh, that's that's a big mistake. But again, it's just, it's something yeah. that it's like, yeah, as a work, as like an actual piece of, of, of work, I think that it's it very much is what it is and the fact that the art is as strong and Alex Ross-ish as it is I think makes it probably a plus for more people but for me it's like ah crap this was not my thing you know what, what's interesting is for me, like, I was really interested when I heard about it, like you, mm -hmm. but I saw a lot of the preview art, mm -hmm. uh, in part because I think it did the story for Wired at some point, mm -hmm. and so I had a better idea what was going to be there, I guess. Right. But seeing, because I think Mike Mayhew can be a great artist. Mm -hmm. I think at least his um, stylization is great. I, I sometimes have problems with him, like, as a panel-to-panel -panel artist. Yes. Um, 
so that was that was part of the draw for me. I think if it had been something that looked just like the Macquarie art, I'm not sure I would have liked reading it. Yeah. I, I, as a kid, the Macquarie art like was very effective, but not really something I liked. I liked the Macquarie art insofar as it reminded me of the movies, as opposed to actually liking it aesthetically for itself. Interesting. Whereas I very much like. I dislike the Macquarie art. You know what I mean? I was such a Star Wars fanboy that I'm like, this doesn't look like Star Wars at all. I hate this. Why do they keep exactly. putting this That's stuff in not here? C three PO. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That is not C three PO. That is just a barely featured thing shambling through a desert and that's but that's precisely the stage for me weirdly enough that I wanted where I was like now that I'm old enough and I'm open-minded enough I'm like okay I want to go in there you know I want to go to there whereas like this as good as it is and there's some brilliant stuff in here there's one point where Darth Vader is talking to some dude and god bless they do a fantastic job of that's the, that's the guy he's clearly supposed he looks like an alternate reality Peter Cushing you know he really yeah. catches that yeah. look in the face it's great and it and so there are those like strange like when they work at best like there's uh, an appearance of Leah uh, toward the very end and Leah perhaps unsurprisingly looks way more like like she's dressed up like Leah but because she is so young she looks much more like uh, Natalie Portman's character in The Phantom Menace and so there's a, a way in, in which the visual references as a in a completely sort of you know as a game I guess are, are really interesting but unfortunately what I, what I did want um, was a little bit I want I, it really seemed like they were like oh we're going to bring the strange back to Star Wars you know, because there's some, because kind of like you can handle that alternate reality now, you know, and I was kind of yeah, bummed yeah. that that was not really what ended up happening. So you're right. In that sense, I was not prepared. Hmm. Okay. I, outside of that, do you think it's a good comic? Whether, are you recommending that people read it or are you recommending that people don't? Well, that's kind of tough. I mean... I I would think that it's worth picking up and looking through. The other problem is is that um, as as Doug at the store said, it's a it's clearly an adaptation of a screenplay. So you've got a little bit of an action sequence at the beginning, then you've got scenes of people being introduced, but it pretty much ends with it's a very static first issue. Like you know the 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 big climax the big climax is someone walking into a room going like you know we picked up something big it could be a comet heading right for us you know and it's like bump bum and so it's really um it's a pretty lax issue i mean i don't think that it's going to some people will not have a problem with that you know i it's really a book that i would be hesitant to either recommend or dissuade people from trying I definitely think people should look it up but you know uh, I it, it I do feel that once you take out to me if you take out the visual strangeness you are adapting someone's early screenplay that is going to be pretty clunky there's and there is some clunky stuff in here so if you know some people like that's what they want that's what they want to see 
and frankly, that's how it's being pitched, is this very faithful recreation of the original script. It's honest. I feel like that's what we're getting. But um, but yeah, I I'm I would be a little surprised if I would go to uh, any length to... Um, sorry, I just realized a grammatical problem, too, I think. Because the, the slogan here is longer ago in a galaxy further away. And I'm like, it should be farther away, right? Like farther and, and further? To, to me, to me, it would be, but I'm not entirely sure if we are correct because I always get further and farther confused. My understanding is farther is used when it's being used specifically as a measure of distance. It's specifically farther, and if, if like for example, you were confused, I would have to explain that to you further. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I I will take your word for it. Uh, this reminds me to get entirely off topic for a second. Yes. Uh, I got an email from uh, one of the Hollywood Reporter editors uh-huh. uh, at the very end of last week. And he was like, uh, you're writing this in Chicago style, but we write in AP style. And as someone who has like, not gone through any of these, I was kind of like, I'm sure I am. I can promise you that's not intentional because I don't know what the difference is. Right, right. So did you go out and have to buy yourself the AP Manual of Style then? or No, because there is the internet. Oh, yeah. good. Oh, well, look at you. My goodness. Look this stuff up. Right. Uh, but no, it, it was just funny because you're saying, like, here's the rule for farther and further. Reminds me yet again, I'm a professional writer who has no training in this <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Well, that is brilliant. That it well because I think there is a lot of that stuff that's just just the fact that they can't agree enough to have one, one style, style manual. Yeah, yeah it just means yeah. right off the bat how how up in the air things are. So so those are the things that I want to complain about. I have to say I also maybe this will change, but like um, I had this glorious moment Tuesday night where uh, I realized like the new 2000 AD was available for download, and I was kind of like. Why? Where the fuck is the magazine? I feel like it's like late, and I looked on my little archive, and it was overdue. Like I hadn't downloaded the last issue, and I'm like, hooray! So I'm like, wow, I've got a 2000 AD and a magazine, yay! And then both of them were kind of substandard for me. I was like, I was like, I suck. Like at the end of it, I was just. Uh, well, it, it might be like I I am really behind. I'm like three or four weeks behind on 2000 AD right now. Yeah. Uh, in part for the same reason. I'm just it's I've hit one of those parts where I'm like, yeah, I like Dread, and I'm not really sure I'm really into anything else that's running right now. I was doing okay there for a while in the sense of, um, yeah, I was into Dread, I was into Defoe, I was into the the Ten Seconders, so I mean, that's three-fifths yeah, of it true. right I, there. I, yeah, I did I did like Ten Seconders as well. Yeah. Uh, but like the, the, the Schlange stuff. Or Schlange, or Schlange. Schlange. Mm-hmm. Um, or slain, as I always have called it. Good for you. Uh, you know, that's how it's spelled. Yes. Sorry, Celtic history. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, I've I've never I've never been into that character. I've never been into that series. And while I appreciate what they're doing, as far as like it's the character's anniversary, we bring back all the big artists, which is kind of great. Um, seeing so much emphasis put on that kind of kills my enthusiasm for, for the progs a bit. Well, in the progs that I've read, as someone who is aware roughly of Slane slash Slanya, uh, but has not actually 
read much of it like that that story is a mess like they cooked up the idea of it you know which it's like hey it's pat mills writing and it's you know Slania goes back and fights his greatest enemies in his greatest stories but this time the enemies know so it's like this ultimate like if you're a fan and you remember the original bits and pieces I guess that that's great, but like so well, far, it's just, just it. been it's completely fun service. Yeah, it's and clumsily so, really clumsy yeah. fan service. And so, as someone not a fan, I'm like, this is utterly, utterly incomprehensible and unenjoyable. That being said, the the prog that came out this week with um, Simon Bisley's art is the first one that was I did I still didn't know what the shit was going on but they're um they built in a subtext of subtext they built in a a subplot of the um the bard who's basically telling these stories he's a gnome or something is being woken up and being like uncle yeah oh it's like you've got to tell this you've got to retell this story because it's changed now and he's like fuck off why would I bother doing that and they're like oh because you'll get so much more money they're coming out in all these ultra new editions, which I thought was really funny. Like the yeah, like that the is, that that is very funny. The level of piss that that Pat Mills is actually taking at at 2000 AD and Titan for this, although I felt it was very good hearted, at least it was something. So it was kind of like, oh, that's that's fine, that's fine with me. But the magazine, which has normally been a very consistent um, source of monthly pleasure for me. Like it had a wrap up to the Don Dan Francisco story, and then after that, I was just like, "Oh, guys, you got busy, didn't you? Like, really, like fill in stories that were like, well, everyone knows what is it? It's like the Black Museum or something like that. Are you? Are you? I have I have no idea. I'm not even reading the magazine. Yeah, magazine. It's it's got something where it's like everyone loves it. If you were telling an EC style old Crypt Keeper story in the Judge Dredd, you know, universe, right? And it's like, no, no. You know, because it is like, oh, great. Like, somebody's been double-crossed by their lover. Or in this case, it's like something, it's some bullshit about people eating burgers, you know? So it's like... Of, co- of course it is. Of course it is. Isn't that the shame? Like, I'm like, I've only been reading 2000 AD for such a short period of time, and I'm like, of course it's about fucking burgers. But, you know, but it's got that sort of twist ending and Mom somebody meets terrible food. ends. What's that? Is it mom versus food? It is mom versus food. Yeah, that that is the plot. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? A... Uh, no, I'm just looking at what's in the issue. So, oh, thank uh, goodness. Judge Dredd Nurture Part One, The yeah. Streets of Dan Francisco, Part Five. The conclusion. Uh, yeah. Tales from the Black Museum, Mom versus Food. Yeah. Uh, Tharg's Future Shocks. Wow, they've got two anthology strips. Exactly. Oh, and both of them uh, looked like they were drawn by third graders who are late on their mom deadlines. And Insurrection 3. Not even Insurrection 1 anymore. Uh, is it the third different Insurrection? Because that would be great. If like the same <laughs> characters just keep trying to have an Insurrection and it fails and they're like, but next time... No, no, that would also be great. I think, sadly, the fact that they're... Aren't they doing that with... Uh, isn't that Pat Mills' Savage, basically? that's Isn't that basically what Again, they're doing Pat, there? Pat Mills. I don't... Hot mills. I don't get it. Love him. Uh, Love him. I'm sorry. Well, it's great. Someone has to. He's. Has it doesn't matter that he's in his like wipe his jowls with your panties Tom Jones stage of things. It doesn't matter. Oh, he is he, awesome. He is. He has been like that since the 
80s. Well, I think that's what I love about him. Pat Mills you is know, the best Pat Mills right. cover band. World War. Jeff, one day they will do a, a reprint of Third World War, mm-hmm. his quote-unquote adult political strip from oh Crisis, the, the 2003 spin-off. And, oh, it, there is nothing more late 1980s than Pat Mills' Third World War. I, I believe it. Tell you. It is horrendous. It is so hilariously worthy and like self-conscious and I am white imperialist, I have guilt. And then it turns into like Pat Mills' masturbatory fantasies halfway through while still trying to be like political satire and it becomes the worst thing that has ever seen print. Ever. I have to say one of the the two great shocks at meeting Pat Mills at San Diego Comic-Con a couple of years back was a how gracious and humble he actually was like utterly polite and kind and and a real sweetheart and the fact that he did not have sledgehammers for hands you know what i mean because (laughs) the thing that i love so much about pat mills is there is it's like if it is worth doing it is worth doing indelicately you know what i mean he just has it is not subtle at all and i adore it track down uh, back issues of the American reprints of Third World War which is, I shit you not the good stuff <laughs> it's like it's like the first 15 issues of Crisis they reprint the strip from and then they stop because, so Third World War starts off as like five Brits go to Africa to help out the starving hordes, Wow. okay and it's all like they get there and they're like oh my god, it's all sponsored by corporations man <laughs> Like and that is that for fifteen episodes. Like right. so, it's like intercut, and it's Carlos Square drawing it. Wow, right? Uh, and it's like you know, intercut with, you know, starving African child will be fuck the corporations. Hey, you've got big tits. Like that is that for fifteen <laughs> issues, right? And what what happened after then? And when it went like hideously bad, is when he was like, you know what? Let's go back to Britain. And show how Britain's controlled by the corporations too, and it just goes so stunningly off the rails because they go back to Britain and like hey, Britain's controlled by the corporations too. Um, but one of the guys who was out in the in Africa who's come back to Britain and who is quite clearly like Pat Mills, Mary Sue, is an eco-terrorist who puts on like a gas mask and then has sex with Christian women because Christian women just need a good hard fucking. I mean, it's appalling. <laughs> <laughs> it's appalling and he's like I am a pagan god who's saving the world fuck you corporations and literally fuck you Christian blonde woman and she's like no I am so uptight your penis has shown me the way it's terrible <laughs> terrible Just, stuff I, 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 I'm sorry Graham this is the point where I have to feign ignorance so you can keep explaining it to me because I am so delighted like all of this is the only thing better than imagining this is having you describe it which is hilarious <laughs> oh my think, god I am honestly giving you the edited highlights of like a 60 issue run I'm sure because it's, it's terrible it's so <laughs> so bad and so yeah so issue fit like it was issue 15 or 16 of Crisis was when they get back uh, to the UK and all this starts and this happens at the same time as Garth Ennis's first comic Troubled Souls which oh, is wow. all about the troubles in Northern Ireland right and is the one truly sincere Garth Ennis comic like before he realised that he could do humour right like and it's literally like you know 
There is so much violence. I am in pain. Will my friends never come together? There is an explosion. I feel the pain. And it ends up with like the main character getting blown up. And he's just like, finally, an end to all this pain and bloodshed. Like, it's it's the most, you know, eye-wateringly sincere comic exactly. ever. Like, he, he, he had the best of intentions. God bless him. But, like, immediately when he does a follow-up to it, the follow-up mm-hmm. is like, and here are the hero's friends getting p- pissed and pretending to be detectives. It's the stuff that ended up becoming dicks. Right. Um, but Troubled Souls is, like, so incredibly, like, oh... Why is there pain in the world? I do not understand. I am crying, and my tears are like blood. And like this is at the same time as Pat Mills being like, "Fuck the corporations! What are you doing? Let's have sex with Christian women because they're repressed." I just and I'm. Like, <laughs> The, the thing is, is I'm like, I wish that I had the internet capabilities to jump on Wikipedia, look up Crisis, and be like, uh-huh, and what about Kablank? Describe that at length, Graham, because I am adoring well, all I'm, of I'm your your invitations. Right now. I'm oh, see, this is great. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, this is a, a, a proud moment. We are going Crisis to... Crisis Fleetway, a British comic, it says. Crisis was a British comic published from 1988 to 1991. Wow, was that short? I thought it went on for much longer. <laughs> experiment by Fleetway to see if intelligent, mature, politically and socially aware comics were saleable in the United Kingdom. The comic was initially published fortnightly and was one of the most visible components of the late 1980s British comics boom, along with Deadline, Revolver and Toxic. Uh, let's see. Which Toxic, I have to say, is the only one of those I have not, I don't think I've heard of. Toxic was Pat Mills, uh, Kevin O'Neill, John Wagner, Alan Grant, uh, and I want to say there was another writer involved, uh, with Dan Abner editing, trying to do 2018 in the 90s. How did it fail? Because that sounds awesome. Oh, because it was terrible. <laughs> it was a, it was appallingly bad. Really? Um, yeah, it, 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 was, it was really badly managed mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but yeah, it was just it was oh god, yeah, not 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 good at all. Um, let's see. So watch stories: Third World War, Book One, issues one to fourteen; Book Two, issues fifteen to twenty-seven and twenty-nine to thirty-eight; Book Three, uh, The Big Heat, issues forty to forty-one, forty-three to forty-eight. I remember that. That was when they talked about global warming. The Big Heat. Did you get it? Uh, Anyway, that went through issue 40... It ended up issue 53, thank God. New Statesman, which was their attempt to do Watchmen, uh, issues 1 to 12. Mm-hmm. And then an Epilogue in issues 13 to 14. Uh, Sticky Fingers. Oh, God, that's right. Sticky Fingers was about the thief. That was their attempt to do a Tank Girl. It was nothing like Tank Girl. It was terrible. Um, Troubled Souls to Serve and Protect. I don't even remember. The Geek. I don't remember. The Student's Constable. I don't Student Constable, let me at that one. Uh, Angels Among Us by Philip Bond, aka The Crooked Mile. Oh, that was the the back page. Oh, that was true, because for a while, uh, Crisis' back page was just um, Brendan McCarthy doing whatever the fuck he wanted. Wow. Which was great. Uh, And then Philip Bond took over for a while. True Faith, which is the Garth Ennis thing. No, True Faith was his, his screed against religion. I forgot that, that... Um, her parents by Mark Miller and John McCree. Um, the clicking of high heels, I don't remember at all. Squirrels in Carroll Street. God knows, but it's a great name. <laughs> Didn't you love my brother? Was them going, have you heard about gay people? Gay people are okay. Um, it, yeah, it was terrible. It, I mean, it was, it was, it was really... 
No, really, that was pretty much the plot of it. <laughs> no, I know. Like, I just wish it was titled that because that would have been so great. Have you uh, heard about gay people? Hitler gay people are okay. were, was like the big thing. Oh yeah, that's the only one that I've actually seen any of whatsoever. Actually. Yeah, which is uh, the Marston Yule thing. Straight Gate, which was um, John Smith and Sean Phillips doing their doing Crisis the Second. Gay people are not the devil story because I mean again in 1990 apparently you had to do that um, and it was about a guy who was so torn apart by his homosexuality he had like fantasies about killing people um, wow intense man oh it was it was very seriously it's like there's... insiders insiders was Mark Miller doing a prison drama oh my god that, I can't even imagine what that would be like holy and it was shit Paul Grist drawing it oh what? Paul illustrated it in full color. Seriously, the, the the stuff that was in this comic was kind of amazing. Bible John was Grant Morrison doing. Oh yeah, Rob yeah, Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Scottish serial killer. Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, in fact, Jared Kobeck was like, "Dude, you've got to read Big John." Oh, Bible, yeah. Bible, Bible John. Uh, yeah. No, you're, yeah, Big Dave was their. their Sorry, it was thing, Bible which, John. He wanted yeah. me to read Bible John because he was. It was great. that very much that like. It, it was. It was great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, there's, there's lots of it. Let's see, history. Ba -ba -bum. Does it say anything about why... Why killed... Oh, it, did, uh, tr it did reprints towards the end, the crew uh, Manara. Wow. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say why it got killed. I'm guessing it just got killed because it wasn't selling. Right. Yeah, it it was a it was a it was a comic. It was an experience. I, I apparently the reason none of this stuff has been reprinted is it was either creator owned or it was owned by Fleetway, and wasn't sold as part of the two thousand eight package. Yeah, 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 yeah. So because I know that it's a, bits and pieces of that have come out as individual collections since I guess. So Graham McMillan, yes. Yes. I'm sorry, while you're doing this, J.H. Williams has just tweeted, to reiterate, was never told that they could not marry because of gay marriage at all. <laughs> it's so funny. I had this moment of like, I don't feel like we really talked about the, you know, part of it is our timing. We had that Batwoman conversation last week, and then for this to come along, I'm kind of like, I don't know what we got to say. Like, I, I, I'll, I'll say it. I, as long as they get a good writer to replace, I don't think this is the worst thing in the world for Batwoman at all. Right, 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 right. But let's face it, it will, like, whoever made the joke last night that it's going to be, you know, Scott Lobdell and Brett Booth taking over. <laughs> like, that's probably what it's going to be. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, although someone came to me today with, uh, I think, what might be the case mm -hmm. is that Margaret Bennett will take over. The woman who did the Batwoman, the, the Batman annual that we oh thought yeah was yeah okay. yeah that we thought was okay yeah um, yeah and she's doing a bunch of villains month uh, comics and she's also doing the Batgirl zero hour issue that mm. zero month issue zero year issue God there's been zero hour zero month and zero year DC what's that zero millennium yeah, I don't know zero yeah century. zero zero minute minute zero I don't know zero second. But yeah, I, I, I could see her being given the book. Dump to I, I zero, get possible. with the hero. I think that's that's that'd be great. Yeah, that that yeah. Uh, that's Scott Snyder's follow up to Zero Year. <laughs> 
What what is that? That that is um that is apparently some Japanese porn your husband. It sure looks like it. It is well and no, <laughs> look at the really look can't... at the back, Graham McMillan. It's got oh, a woman in God. a short so, skirt. So um yeah, this no, but, is but can you hold up this front cover again so I can actually describe for the listeners what it looks like? Please. No no, actually throw it so I can see it. Oh I, sorry. <laughs> I do, yeah. So what this cover is, is it's a uh young girl, or at least she looks relatively young. Uh she has uh, something, a hair ribbon in her mouth, while her shirt is undone, as is her tie, so that you can see cleavage and the belly button, because, you know, go for both audiences. And she's wearing a ridiculously short skirt. Yeah, good good job, Jeff. I'm Do you know what this I, is about, I, Graham? Uh, uh, I don't know what it's about, and I dread, because Gillespie's given, given Micah's it could be about like you know this is a terrible crime drama about man's inhumanity to man that just so happens to feature a 14 year old schoolgirl who likes to take her clothes off baking bread yes <laughs> see oh my god I, I would never would have guessed that looking cover what's that actually called it's called uh, Yakutate Japan um, which, it, just, which translates as as Bread is awesome, Japan. Uh, I think if because the um, yakitate is is I think their type of bread. Basically, you think I would know oh considering gosh, I made it to volume it five? Essentially, as Japanese bread, more or less. I mean, sort of like probably not. I mean, because the thing is, is at least within the story itself. Okay, so. It is, in some ways, for people like me who enjoyed, who like cooking manga, but especially like the more absurd Iron Walk Jan school of cooking manga, it yeah. is heaven. It is very much a cooking comic about a young kid who is on the quest to make the perfect Japan, which is to say a bread that that represents all the virtues of Japan, sort of the same way that French bread represents the bread of France, and you know the, yeah. the basic gist of it. So, it's there's not a ton of um, there's bread in Japan, but not quite in the same way. So the guy picked, you know, the artist picked a fantastic sweet spot in the sense of he's got like instead of uh, Iron Walk Jan, where like the 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 genius cook the night is is actually was a turd here it's like sort of another trope of the genre the good-hearted yokel who doesn't know anything really about bread or anything but is himself such a genius and had spent years trying to cook it so that he could be the best cook in japan it's a lot like one piece except instead of pirates you've got ovens um he ends up hooking up with his best friend who is uh, more of the sort of clever bastard schemer. They are both on a quest to succeed and work for the biggest bread shop in Japan. And instead, very early on, they end up at one of the smaller shops. And them and their amazingly uh, stereotyped cast of characters get involved in cooking challenges and competitions and are so challenged to bake different breads. Bread. Yeah, sort of. I mean, you know, in the sense that the Bakaman is really more like Yakutate Japan with comics, you know, in the sense that the whole concept of competition manga, like, every, as far as I can tell, everything in manga is about competition. Like, if you know what I mean? Like, if it was like 
a manga about a serial killer, it would be about everyone trying to be... Who who could kill the best, yeah. Yeah, who could be the best serial killer. Um, The thing that's actually great, it starts off with some very, very terrifying uh, uh, stereotypes, especially the, the gay manager across the street. But as things go on and it becomes more and more insane in its bread cooking competitions, you have giant chefs who are dressed up like koalas you have like last minute sequences of like you know um what what i do love is is that there's a character who is like this enormous bloated sack exactly and dave is is a parody of the artist who draws the book like he was a former um manga artist who fell in love with bread so much that he just stop drawing and now he like eats all the time and all his only thing that he ever says is i'm so busy i'm so busy because of his career as a manga artist there's like a recipe on how to make bread in a rice cooker in like the second or third volume and the guy who teaches it to a kid is like but i can't learn that i'm only six years old and he's like that's okay this recipe is so easy even a manga artist can do it and that's kind of like how irreverent they are it's awesome i'm only it's like i had to put it down like i think after plowing through a bunch of volumes like i started the first three and then got the next four out of the library i think i'm somewhere around volume six and it is it is so ludicrous but it is great it's filled with like lots lots of last minute reversals of like what he's adding green pea sprouts to the bread he's doomed himself and then of course he manages to win by knowing an obscure fun fact about green pea sprouts and bread so i've got to tell you this sounds great but in all seriousness those covers put me off I can I can understand it because there is a way in which because because it's designed for you know it was for the shonen jump stuff at like um you know it's designed to be read for 12-year-old boys, 13-year-old boys and you can tell where it starts off as a more straightforward competition manga and when that doesn't work they introduce a female schoolgirl bread prodigy who ends up being the girl who manages their shop so that you can get the upskirt shots of her and originally she's supposed to be kind of you know slutty but then they decide that that doesn't work in sales so they end up and this is terrifying they end up making her like because she's the illegitimate child of the head of the bread chain and she's competing with her other sisters the thing that's hilarious is they introduce her younger even sluttier younger sister who's the terrible tease who is now competing for the affections of the yokel against the more you know pantied upskirt but good-hearted girl okay here here's a serious question yes why do you give this shit a pass in manga when you wouldn't in western comics well because you do like you would not read like if that if if first of all if that were a western comic it would be a xenoscope comic and you wouldn't read it you would actively mock it right like even if everything else was the same i feel like you would actively no 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 because no no because okay so here's the thing all right i i see your point and lord knows this is my sort of thing okay so um for 
for me, on the one hand, it's super, super easy for me to be in a position of white male privilege and be like, well, it's not really that offensive to me, you know. There's another stage of it, though, which I think is interesting that I, I've noticed for myself. Um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was a huge Hong Kong film fanatic. E- enormous. Fell in love with John Woo's The Killer, never looked back, and I saw dozens and dozens and dozens of Hong Kong movies, or at the very least, in some cases, the same Hong Kong movie a dozen times over and over again. One of the things that I realized is things that are too cheesy or unacceptable to you in your own culture, you are quicker to give a pass for in a foreign culture, you know? So for me, weirdly enough, um, it didn't matter if the movies technically were uh, plotted worse than regular American movies. Honestly, they weren't. But I was also well aware once you become a fanatic and you start looking into it, like, for example, with Hong Kong films, there's this thing of like every 10 minutes or basically every real change is like 15 minutes in a Hong Kong film. And back in the day, they had to guarantee that you basically had one of everything in that 10 minute sequence you had to have a fight scene you had to have a comedy scene you had to have a potential romance scene maybe a music sequence you know and then you moved on to the next one so it was incredibly those movies you saw them as sort of their own weird thing and it was a lot easier to not judge them now if this book were all panty upskirt you know really bad gay stereotype comic like from top to bottom soup to nuts it would it would be really unappealing and would not be accessible as it was i was really the the already retrograde uh, approach to um how the gay character was treated what you know was really appalling and i mean these books are these books are all reprinted in america from 2002 so they're probably were originally came out in like the mid 90s so they're 20 years old anyway so i've got all sorts of various excuses to let myself let myself and the material off the hook but there is a way in which i'm like they are like the the parts that you you find objectionable i totally understand they are objectionable they're only maybe four pages out of 180 so it's very hard for me to be like but let's go back to uh that red hood comic that the ridiculous one shot of starfire that everyone made fun of right that's one panel out of however many panels were in that comic. Well, and it was justly mocked. Well, it, or the well, Catwoman comic. Right. Like, I, I, uh, I, I, I feel there's this weird, and I'm not, re- like, I'm accusing you sort of because you're standing next to this as opposed to actually directly accusing you of it. Right. But I feel that there's this, um, like, uh, acceptance of objectionable material in... Uh, movies and comics and and culture from foreign climes mm-hmm. because it's part of the fetishi- fetishization of that culture. Mm-hmm. It's like all oh, those wacky Japanese with their upskirt shots and their tentacle rape, right. and it's like that's not cute. Like that, it it's by just being like oh those guys, it's right. really weird to me that 
that it doesn't get called on the same shit. And not even that it doesn't get called on it, but that it's almost encouraged. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's this weird... Although, you know, it didn't have a panty shot, so, you know, it's not it's not as good as this other one, which did. I, 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 there's just something really weird about that. Well, there's... there's I think part of the thing that's going to make this super hard to... 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 Um, respond to is I, I while I see your point it's your collection of panty shots right exactly well, let me break that out now uh, is without seeming sort of didactic or obtuse on my point uh, on my part is is that there's there's a couple of different things here and one thing of course is is that the difference between Starfire being an actual character I mean this is the weird thing with DC the new 52 and the legacy no 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 of being a previous, you know, the, these other characters are the characters. Yes, wow, well, right. As being a previously established character that people could encounter in other contexts. You know what I mean? Like to me, and it's very difficult. For example, the situation with Catwoman and Starfire is that you can come across them in Batman the Animated Series. That you can come across them in like Teen Titans Go or a situation like that, where they are presented in one way, which is a much better, more positive and progressive way than the way that you later encounter them in. And this is this is where I realize I'm I'm the the part is it's not even really an answer to your other stuff. So I'm gonna you're gonna want to respond and I, I'm gonna try and cut you off from I, that part. <laughs> so so there is a thing where I feel a lot of people who are like, look, this is Starfire. This is a character that I know. There's things that I know. This character. This is not that character. And this is frustrating because they're being treated in not only in a way that is more reductive but in a way that is more immature than the way we are seeing the, the, the seeing the characters when provoke, you know presented for quote unquote children or in the other context. In other words, it's like this is a step backwards. The problem with stuff like Yakutate uh, Japan is again because it's a, a genre because it's the characters are being introduced in the course of the genre. You have to. Um, the characters as they introduce themselves in the story, it's not like they sort of retrograde as the story goes on. As I mentioned, like what they tend to do is they introduce another character to fill that that panty skirt, you know, upskirt need that they have. But the other thing that is unfortunate, and and this is where this is where the layers, like the the what you're responding to is of course three different types of acceptance of something that is wrong for three or four different type for four three or four different reasons you have the people who are like i dig tentacle rape that is my thing that is why i like this genre this is what i have to people being like well graham tentacle rape books are this you know this is you know is that genre this is just shown in stuff this is designed for 13 year old boys boys like girls they like to look at girls it sells things and then other people who would say but in fact and it's actually tough to make that that this argument with yakutate japan because i'm only six volumes in but i do know other books where people are like the characters are so well developed that you don't realize that it is fan service for boys because it is actually the characters, the female characters are that much deeper than what you get in American culture. 
You know what I mean? Like there were a lot of people who when they moved into manga, it took a long time for people, as far as I can tell, and this is where the manga fans get to have their field day in, in the comments with me. It was actually, it took a while for people to figure out that books that were for that seemed like they were for women or were about women characters were actually for guys. And the reason why that was difficult is, is even though it was exploitive, it was still done with more care for characterization and storytelling than you get in American storytelling. So the difference between um, Love Hina and uh, Executive Assistant Iris is, is that for at least the first eight to ten volumes of Love Hina, even though the story is about a guy who gets to have a harem of beautiful girls, um, the fact that the first eight to ten issues are the girls are totally in power, they're well-developed characters, they never have problems with each other, just with the male character, um, the fact that they their backstories are gone into and all this other stuff makes up for the panty shots, the bathtub shots, all the other things to the point where women can read the book and not be appalled until it's volume 17 or 18 and like the character's sister is introduced having incestuous designs on him and then things have gone totally off the rails. You know what I mean? So... So there's, I guess what I'm saying is, is depending on which segment of the audience that you're talking to, they're going to have a different response. And in some cases, you know, Yakutate Japan started off being one thing, and I feel it started to be just a slightly absurd cooking comic. As things have gone on, they tried playing up the fan service with the upskirt shots, and when that didn't work, they basically turned it into a crazy comedy. And that is the the weird manic comedy is what works the best. But the great thing after reading 20 volumes of misogynistic Bakuman is I happen to know now that these books have to are looking at are being rated every week and are trying to constantly figure out ways to push themselves higher in the ratings and that and so that means that there is so much more fan service baked into it once you realize what the fan part of that is supposed to be because it's so different from superhero comics and american comics that it's really easy to be ignorant of it for a long time and by the time you have enough knowledge to catch on you're kind of like oh well meh. you know either a it hasn't done me any damage now or again it's still a more well-rounded experience than what I'm getting out of Forever Evil issue one, for example. So, okay, so so to pick on just one of the many responses in my brain <laughs> to everything you've just said, should we be more forgiving of fan service in American comics because it's doing the same thing? It's just trying to make itself more popular by appealing to the more purient aspects of the audience's desires. I would say it depends on how that fan service is done. Yeah, I mean, I like King City, Multiple Warheads, Adam Warren's Empowered, all of which have elements of what could be considered cheesecake, what could be considered fan service, um, or and just flat-out female objectification. But while that is going on, the creators are themselves actually trying to do more than just 
settle for that. So fan service for fan service sake, I think is something that we should be a little concerned, worried, and hand-wringing about. But I think there is a difference between that and, again, the first issue of Teen Titans. And I can even see where Scott Lobdell was like, but look, she's fine. She's totally in control of her femininity and her sexuality. And it's not a big deal for her. It's just a big deal for the guys, you know. And that's a little bit easier to believe um, or even accept when that is not a character that has been that is continually being melted down and reassembled in her own image and each time that it happens it gets a little more base I guess you know what I mean like the original Starfire is a fan service character that also has a lot more to it which I think a lot of people were making with that. So, response number two, uh, are you completely okay with fan service if the character has been created purely for the purposes of fan service? Uh... Like, if DC Comics, if DC Comics tomorrow released, um, you know, they announced it's Big Tits Woman issue one. <laughs> also okay. known as Power Girl? Uh... Ha, ha, ha. No, 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 no. But well, actually, like, no, no. But what I'm saying is, like, it's a brand character, uh-huh. it's a brand new character, and her selling point is, like, the entire selling point is, look at her breasts. Like, are you more okay with that than you're with Star Starfire in that role? Because uh, she has been created with the express purpose of that. I. She she's not appearing in DC Nation. She's not going. She's sure. not in any of the kids stuff. She, right. Like she exists purely for. Uh, lonely men who have never met a real woman or discovered real pornography to be happy about no I wouldn't be that happy with it but again I feel like I feel like um right no I I am not I'm not happy with that right I would not be I I see your point in that regard I feel like it's sort of um, like it, it's sort of grabbing the one snag in my thing, but I mean, again, no, no, I no, feel no, that that's no, oh, you know, I've got, I've got other snags, Jeff. Sure, well, and go with them. I again, <laughs> I'm just going to bring up the empowered defense, where it's like that's what that character was created for, for example. And I feel that Adam Warren did a lot of great and interesting stuff with the character and has changed it and grown it while I, keeping I, to I, that. I would argue, but I'd argue that Adam Warren is doing stuff with empowered that. For example, the okay. So the two manga series that I've been like completely into and read from beginning to almost end in Bakuman's case, but actually end in Deathstroke's case, are Bakuman and Death Note. Right. And in both series, the female characters are significantly less developed than the male characters, yes. and far more fan servicey, far more um, fantasy elementy. Where yeah. you know it's essentially we are completely obsessed with boys. Like, that is it. That is our motivation. Our motivation is to get the boy's attention. And that's it. I, I feel that that completely undercuts your argument of... But it's okay to have these fan service images because the characters are much more developed and more nuanced. And I, and they're not always. Like No, I, they're I, not I, always. It, but I mean, and, and Bakuman and Death Note are not only by the same creators, but, you know, are two titles. So I'm like... So it's almost like you're... No, no, I know. No, but no... No, I, I'm just saying, like, I feel that in those circumstances, mm-hmm. or do you have a problem with those characters? Like, do you see, are you troubled by that? I guess is what I'm asking. 
I'm. I was more. Because I, I almost feel like you'd be like, no, because, and you'd come up with a different rationalization. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, I'm right. Well, again, I'm. Ugh. I was trying to talk. <laughs> well, because you are kind of. It's you did phrase things like you were talking about the audience. I didn't know if you were explicitly talking about me, for example, because I, I do know, feel I, like I, know. I. I'm talking to you sure. but about the audience well but sense. then if I like talk you're, about you're the audience the audience so I mean it's kind of it's you make it sound like aha there's another trap door for you I'm like but that's another segment of the audience <laughs> for myself I was I was more uncomfortable with the female characters in Death Note by far than I was in Bakuman the ones in Bakuman um, just struck me as I wasn't as troubled. I, in fact, I wasn't troubled at the... It's so funny you bring them up because, of course, I was thinking just earlier today about how uh, um, uh, embarrassed that I was, that it wasn't real, that it didn't bother me until Lauren Davis pointed it out. She was like, oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. So, I mean, the brilliant part is, is having acknowledged that as a blind spot and you, Graham, out of the entire genre of manga, bringing up exactly... <laughs> them as the example and I have to respond to them exactly as me I have no choice but to actually say yeah that's that's that is problematic and it's I, problematic I, I, that I didn't notice it at, at the get go I'm not I'm not trying to put you on the spot I'm, I'm really not I guess what I I guess what I'm saying is like when you brought up the cover of that manga just there right I was just like oh my god that's like I can't even imagine picking that book up yes like, that, I totally that, get it that, yeah that just puts me off, right? And I feel that you're much more accepting of it, yeah. And you, you like, you're almost um, fan service blind mm -hmm. because part of I feel that for you, you're like that's just a, a like an element of the medium, right? Like you're going to get fan service, you're going to get panty shots, you're going to get upskirt shots, you're going to get the material that is appealing to like the basically the the masturbatory fantasies of the thirteen year old. Uh, Male right. audience, right? Um, and I feel that there's this. I don't even know if it's a double standard because I think it's different audiences. But it's really weird to me that you get that shit called out so vocally in American comics, and that does not happen in manga. I, I find I and I, I I always wonder if it's because there is this those wacky Japanese like that do you know what I mean because they're definitely outside of manga I feel that there is an element of those wacky Japanese with their schoolgirls and right. their panty dispensing machines like oh they're hilarious as opposed to this is really weirdly creepy why are we laughing at this well I think that's fair you know it's interesting that um, you, you know you mentioned the DC character but it, it uh, but it it reminds me, actually, of the controversy that popped up over the comics journal, over the comic book that Frank Santoro wrote about, you know, that... Oh, the, the, the what's it called? Fuckter or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Fuckter, you know, where it's, yeah. it's like, clearly... And someone in the comments thread was like, well, is this racist? Like, this seems really racist. And people are like, no, 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 no. Or, yes, yes, yes. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it, it stirred up a lot of controversy. And I think there were people who, I think it was... You don't see that addressed much in American indie comics either, you know? I mean, I think one of the things that is problematic about seeing yourself as part of a... 
uh, I don't see the problem is if I choose the word minority it becomes loaded because then it sounds like I'm talking about actual minorities but let's just say a subgroup is it gets easier to excuse the things that happen in the subgroup because it's it's not the it's not the dominant group you know what I mean? Like, wait. So, what is what is the subgroup here? You're talking about like American indie comics as the subgroup. Uh, American indie comics or Japanese manga, because Japanese manga is coming here and is in translation. It's very hard for people here to be like, um, like you don't. It's not. It's not the for people who read comics. It's like, well, it's not the dominant genre of comics. I mean, it is over in Japan, and when you measure it out over the world, it arguably is. But here in America, it's still just sort of a weird, sizable segment. You know what I mean? Or American indie comics, or even when it's even when Marvel and DC were the only two games in town, but comic books were only read by very few and it was considered you know a subgenre sort of it was like people don't seriously read comic books i think once you have that idea of like it's not something that's is seriously being read or is not seriously accepted um it gets easier to forgive the trespasses and i'm not saying that that's a good thing i think actually that is part of the reason why you have such blindered behavior on the parts of mainstream comics publishers now is they're like it doesn't matter like you know I'm picking you know it's Frank Santoro or whomever is like I'm picking up weird comics to get the dose of the stuff that is wrong and because it is so far removed from the dominant form of communication or it's or the communication preferred by the dominant form of um the the ruling class strata in our society because it's disempowered it is it, it's harmless and i think that's that's a very common mistake to make but i can also see sort of why it's made and it's also one that i make you know there was there was a time where reading weirdo comics trying to figure out what r crumb is doing you know whether he's a racist where he's playing whether he's just playing with racial imagery you know what i mean like it's a very fine line and it can make you uncomfortable it can also be the kind of thing that you end up enjoying for whatever cathartic reasons that may or may not be that that may be fucked up and wrong you know what i mean so i don't so I don't know. I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know enough about the manga genre to, or I don't, I'm not enough of the subgroup because I'm very obviously and consciously cut off. I don't know to what extent those discussions happen in manga and anime rooms everywhere. I hope, I hope that they are happening, but I can also see in a way if they're not, why they're not, I suppose, you know? But, I mean, I do think that there is that idea of that weird realm of capitalist correction, sort of the same way that the capitalist correction is what made people be like, okay, well, put the panty skirt in there, is like, if there's a significant female audience, you start being like, okay, let's take the Dick Wolf shirt off the market, you know? Um, the, the problem is, is that, you know, you have to... 
you also kind of have to do it for the right reasons. You know, like it's not enough to just pull the yeah. Dick Wolves shirt off the marketplace. You also have well, to understand. It, it helps if you. It helps if you know why you're pulling the Dick Wolves shirt off the marketplace. But here's the thing: does it? <laughs> I mean, that's not true. It obviously does, but is it not better that you take action not knowing why you're taking action as opposed to not taking action because you don't understand? Uh, well, that is a good question because you would think, yes. I mean, I would say that yes, but I would say that other people are like, if you bow strictly to you know economic pressure and don't understand why you're doing it, um, it just means that chances are good that it's going to happen again or in the case of what's sort of coming out at, at Penny Arcade Expo is, is exhibitors who are like, I don't really want to show here, you know, because, but I have to because it's the only marketplace for me as, a, as an alternative indie, you know, game maker to present my wares and yet as a woman I feel incredibly uncomfortable with the the atmosphere you know it's like so just pulling dick wolves off the marketplace didn't change how the penny arcade guys treat these incredibly loaded issues because they didn't understand sure, why they were the doing same it time, is it not better that they did that than did nothing i agreed i agree uh but i also think that you see why it i'm, I'm not i'm not again. yeah but I'm, i guess i'm not arguing that um that doing that going halfway is better than going all out mm -hmm. like in my best case scenario they pull it off the market and they know why yes but i'm saying assuming but in that situation that they are, assholes, it they are not mm -hmm. going to know why is it not better that they take it off the market anyway yeah i think so uh, i think so yeah i do i do uh, it just you know it's just the i was actually talking with lauren about this a little bit about how um, I think for the most part, it's a good thing that the internet has become a year and a half long white privilege workshop. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's something that that's, I think that's really beneficial. Even as some of the conversations get tedious, I want to believe that that is actually sinking in for some dude somewhere. I mean, there's a constant number it, it would be nice to think that people become more aware of it because there is a constant conversation about it. Yeah, I would like to think so. In fact, there are good peep guys running around who are saying that it's just the opposite, that all of the political correctness and concern trolling is just making them more militarized or something or making them more defensive or whatever. But I think that that's... I think they would say that anyway. I, I think that's you know? happening as well. Yeah, I think, I think well, it does. going to happen as well, just because that's human nature. You're always going to get people who are like, why are you telling me this? Stop it. Stop right. it. Stop it. Stop it. I hate you. You're not my real dad. I meant, you know, that's just going to happen. Um, yeah, it, I, I don't know. And also, I, you could probably hear the dogs going insane. They're, they're yeah. upset that the, the idea that you're not their real dad, Graham. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, clearly I should never, ever say that again. There was upset at that very idea. Immediately. Um, uh, I, when you brought up um, the, the capitalist thing, uh, I flashed back to the comment section of our most recent podcast, the savagecritic.com. Oh, boy. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. <laughs> you, know exactly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, right? yes, I am. I think I... And it's really funny because... Um, I assume you're talking about the responses to me and my 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 boycott. Um, oh, did you lock up again, Graham? Oh my goodness, did I lose you? Hold on. 
I can still hear you. I, I'm talking and I can still hear you and I'm still here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You started moving again, but for one moment you were no, just no, frozen I, I, and I I'm was, like... No, I was, I was fine the whole time. It was very funny. Um, but what I was going to say is what I was actually looking for is the uh, the comment from Watton or Watan mm-hmm. uh, about the New York City surveillance state uh, and your pinko leftism-ish Yes. Yeah. As as the as opposed to the boycott, I I saw I saw you take your your arrows about the boycott. I I, I will leave that to to respond to or not. I'm not getting involved in that. Right. But uh, the comments about the the surveillance state stuff I thought was was interesting. Are we a political podcast and we didn't realize it? <laughs> We're a political podcast and you didn't realize it, my poor. My poor puppet of a friend. I, um, I, I, did, I did that a lot. I was informed at San Diego that I am a feminist writer, and I was like, I am? <laughs> I, I honestly like that. That had never occurred to me. Well, uh, yeah, no, I think, I think the thing that's really interesting is, is that there are people who just by nature of being who they are without thinking much about it, you end up be, being like the embodiment of like a progressive concept like that. And I think that's great if you, you know, especially in, in your case, um, you know, cause I come from Scotland and we're the opposite of progress. <laughs> I just, I guess what, I guess what I mean is, is that, um, although I apparently do the world's most terrible job <laughs> of doing it, I do actually think about what I'm doing, and so, so there's a few things that I want to say, because, and I don't want to say too much, because it's going to be weirdly justify justificationy. First off, um. I, I felt that the person who was like, hey, you're, you know, I couldn't quite understand which part of my lefty pinkonish that, that they were upset about. For what it's worth, like, my whole desire to dismantle the two-party system in America goes all the way back to, like, 1990, 1991, somewhere around the time of the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings, right? Where I was just like... At the time, as you may remember, Graham, Clarence Thomas, now Supreme Court Justice, uh, Anita Hill had stepped forward and made claims that she'd been sexually uh, harassed uh, by Thomas. And basically what ended up happening in the hearings were a bunch of old white dudes um, basically tried to score easy points off of Anita Hill and... and one of and I could not tell the Democrats apart from the Republicans. Um, I was still also recovering from reading uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72, which I read back in, I want to say, 87, 88. I think I was still in college, um, where Thompson, in breaking down and analyzing the 72 presidential elections, sort of talks about how the Democratic party works slash doesn't work. So um, one of the bigger regrets for me over the last 20 some odd years is the fact that back when I had that little epiphany looking at the white guys giving Anita Hill what's what and not being able to tell the Republicans from the Democrats and realizing they were in fact all rich white guys um, is not working harder to 
create an alternative, a genuinely alternative party in the system, which, you know, America is not especially receptive to, despite calling itself a democracy. The thing that's funky is is that, as many people will, will point out, there are differences. You cannot say that the Democrats and the Republicans are exactly the same. Um, you know, that the, the, the Democrats, in fact, if you look at the issues, are very progressive when it comes to advancing the causes of minorities and women, for to name just two very important examples, even as they fall down very dramatically when it comes to challenging um, the military-industrial complex or the state of moneyed lobbying um, in the country. All of which is to say, when I was saying, referring to Superior Spider-Man as a the, the New York there as being a post-11 New York, I don't just mean because of the, you know, the mayors there. I mean that as a reflection of a post-9-11 America where who we see as the good guys are in fact militarized and could very well be the bad guys behind the scenes. And like I said, I thought that was incredibly subversive of slot to do. So I wasn't merely saying... Um, oh, you know, this is just a Republican thing. I, I think that uh, my current sense of unease about America has a lot to do with the way that the power structure looks like the lesser of two evils is still really damn evil. Um, to take an additional step on that, as long as I'm burying my own grave, I do want to say that sadly, I've spent a lot of time wringing my hands about talking about Marvel comic books on this podcast because of the fear that I am promoting them and operating against, you know, my sense of discontent with the company. On the other hand, A, I would feel very creeped out by reading Marvel comics and not saying anything about it, I suppose, you know, and B, I think that it would be Unfortunately, if I read a good comic book by somebody, no matter how objectionable I find them or the processes in which that I read it, I'm going to say that I thought that it was good. So, um, you know, so in that case, yeah, yes. Why don't you just start reading Marvel comics? Um, I probably should. I, people, I, I had stopped. No, 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 no. I'm not even talking shoots. Like, what? Why do you keep reading Marvel comics? Like, I'm actually asking. I'm sure. not asking in a hypothetical sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened was I stopped reading, um, and I was actually initially quite worried that for our podcast... Remember the last week you were talking about, like, reading... You feel like you should read stuff because of work, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of that for me with this podcast, where I was like, oh, my God, I should totally... What am I going to talk about if I'm not up on the current books what are we going to talk about you know and one of the things that's really ironic is is somewhere in the comments where someone was like yeah Jeff we want to hear you talk more about like Copra and I'm like god damn it <laughs> how many times I've talked about Copra I've talked about Catch It One I've talked about Rogue Trooper I feel like I've been really good the last month or two at least in reading other types of comics talking about them sharing my enthusiasm for them um, unfortunately, at some point, someone was like, hey, if we send you the digital comic codes for the Marvel books, you don't have to pay for them. It's not part of your boycott. And then you can talk about them. I, and I literally was like, OK, you were right. 
You know, like I didn't know what to say. And at that point, it really was. I feel like that is something that made sense. And I was like, well, then I will, I can talk about them with you, depending on what people send me. But man, if I was boycotting, like if I was doing this boycott disingenuously, I would be doing it in a way that I could get the second Thor Omnibus by Jack Kirby up on my shelves. You know what I mean? Because that's that's a book that I really want. The stuff that people send me, I appreciate them sending it to me. I, The one guy who was like, oh, you were all but begging for the Infinity first issue. I'm like, after everything that everybody said about it? Really? I was? I mean, I'm sure I was probably like, oh, I wish I'd read that, but I, I don't really care, you know? So frankly, <laughs> I'm f- I really am. I am fine with stopping to, I guess I sh- could and should tell people to stop sending me digital codes for books, and then I'll just stop reading Marvel stuff. I mean, I will still be reading the Marvel stuff that I own. I still have, like, a Howard the Duck omnibus that I have broken open. There's still, you know, the D- the the DVDs of, you know, 500 issues of Spider-Man and Captain America and the Hulk that I'm all going to get, that I'm telling myself I'm going to get to. And when I do, I think it would be really weird and disingenuous for me not to read them. But in terms of, like, you know, I what what I feel was really funny was I felt like people were accusing me of trying to pull a fast one um, on them, and I feel like I've never been less than like absurdly over the top, over explanatory about what I'm doing and what I'm coming from. I admit that it's inconsistent, which is also where some people think that it's so inconsistent as to be hypocritical and farcical, um, including perhaps you, Graham McMillan. But I no, don't no, have a problem I, uh, with well- that. What's very funny is I feel I'm very suspicious of people who are not inconsistent, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel if it's something someone is, is actually interested in and passionate about and they deny themselves, I think for someone not to try and find a loophole or, or feel tempted to go back on right. their, their boycott or anything like, would be weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that would make me more suspicious than anything else. Uh I I am now feeling that I am uh, totally I'm I'm not helping your boycott whatsoever. So I'm saying for the next month, let's not talk about any new Marvel books, and that way you don't have to read them, and okay. we'll see how that goes. Sure, sure, that sounds great to me. I mean, the thing that's really funny is, like I said, between stuff like Yakutate Japan, Catch It One, and Rogue Trooper, uh, just to name three. But I feel like there's a lot of examples of alternative comics that I read and talk about and enjoy. Um, that I feel like I've had been doing such a good job on. So suddenly to have everyone in the comments be like, oh, Jeff. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm really out of tune with what I thought I was doing here. So well, What's really funny is like, I'm really surprised that it was this most recent one that people did that. Because were we not talking about like old OMAG stuff and Batman 66 and like, yeah, like other to- things? <laughs> Well, that's the great thing. To have a podcast where you pointed out the fact that I am crazy with my money when it comes to comics after buying OMAC and the originals and the hardcovers and then the the soft cover, and then have someone else accuse me of like just trying to get comic books for cheap. I'm like this and you guys believe that? You know? <laughs> I'm like, really? Is that how I come off? Because I let's face it, the the fact is more the opposite, unfortunately. I spent too much money on comics. Um, I I can I can totally say that. Hey, 
which I, I should now really quickly because we've got like 10 minutes uh, I should talk about what I bought in the sale which you asked oh yeah and I totally didn't respond to you right yes uh, so what what did I bought in the because listeners I don't know if you remember last week when we talked about this it was the Excalibur 50% off sale this uh, last weekend uh, and I had a hilariously weird weekend, Jeff, that I will tell you when we're not recording. But suffice to say that I got to the store two days later than intended and uh, in an incredible amount of physical pain. And so what would have been like, I'm going to spend a lot of time in the back of your bins became, I'm going to bend over the bins until I can't bend over no more and then I will leave. <laughs> um, so this is what I got. I got uh, <laughs> ton of um, Tom DeValco and Ron Friends Thors, which is like my guilty pleasure because they're less than like a half price sale. They're less than a dollar each. Oh man! You know, and that's like it's Kirby pastiche for less than a dollar. You know, I I will say yes to that. Right, I definitely will. Uh, but talking Kirby, Kirby, I got the first issue of Captain Victory. Ooh. Uh, from 1981. Ooh, is that Eclipse? Uh, no, or is that Pacific? Uh, it's it's Pacific Comics, mm-hmm. and it is it is great. I didn't realize that Mike Royer was inking it for some reason. Ooh. I thought that Royer had had gone off the had gone off Kirby. Yeah, I would have point. thought it was Thibodeau or something like that. And, and that is not the case. It is it is Royer, and it looks amazing, and is just it's you know it's Kirby. It's fucking spectacular. Um... <laughs> In part because, like, halfway through the comic, Captain Victory gets killed. Like, title character gets killed, and then, like, towards the end, they're like, okay, here's his new clone body, he'll be running out of them, this is his tenth. And they're like, we've downloaded all these memories to him. It's just this wonderful shit like that that's all, that's all the way through it. It's great. It's that's really awesome. good. And at the back, you actually see some of Kirby's sketches mm-hmm. for the characters as well. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's great and made me desperately want to... Uh, pick up the remainder of that series um rom annual number one wow holy smokes is uh, that captain universe on there had, uh no it is just a, a generic bad guy oh okay um but again it was like a dollar or something oh, at the half price man and that's I was like, awesome it's rom rom annual number one why would i not yeah uh and it's, it's great i'm weirdly nostalgic for rom because I read like segments of his adventures when it was serialized Future Tense, which was a Marvel UK title when I was a kid. Right. But I'm also weirdly not attached to him because I don't think I ever read a full ROM comic. Ever. <laughs> I think this might be the first full issue of ROM I've ever read in my life. So I was reading this and I, I was weirdly like nostalgic and not nostalgic at the same time. Right. I was like, yeah, this is just like ROM never was. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm sure this is what Rom was like, but I, I wouldn't know. Like, why would I know that? I'm having the good I'm old Rom really, feeling I never had before. I never had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this weird, like, complete disconnect. Uh, which also continued through to my final two purchases, which were um, Giant Justice League Ooh. issues 140 and 141, which are the first two issues of Engelhart's run on Justice League. Right. Uh, and the Manhunter stories that set up Millennium, like... 20 years after 20 that. years, yeah, beforehand. Oh my god, that's yeah, great. And I and it's it's just it's so good. I tweeted out that I really like I now wish that Engelhart continued on Justice League forever, but I'm definitely going to have to get the rest of his run because he's so blatant in trying to marvelize the characters. Mm-hmm. And, and so all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, the Flash is like, I always get nervous around Wonder Woman. She's too perfect. 
like out of nowhere because it's like well we need to give him some neurosis right. you know it's, it's it's just stuff like that i'd love and i love that you know it probably lasted the length of Engelhard's run and was never mentioned again <laughs> probably and i i love that sort of stuff uh, and also it's Engelhard in his i mean when was it 70 something yeah 78 70 70 77 yeah Wow. Uh, in his like 70s prime mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and just boldly just fucking shit up yeah. in the way that uh, in the way that you can't do anymore like he literally is like here's a Kirby concept and I'm going to marry it to the Green Lanterns yeah right and he, he just like he just does it yeah which I don't think you could really get away with doing now because there, because there's already so much continuity and there's so much everything is interconnected that the, I, I think, think it would be really hard to recon something like that in. The only person that I can think of who still does that, which is part of the reason why I think you and I still like him, uh, at least at DC, is Jeff Johns. You know, Johns always seems to try and be like like that bit from the end of the Trinity War where you're like, oh, I really like this pun. And I went and looked at it and I'm like, right, that's a Right. This is this. This is of course. This is what he did, and that idea of taking taking one concept, joining it to another one at a weird angle, and then having a new thing that kind of makes sense, but also spins stuff in a new direction. That is the stuff I used to love. And Engelhart was great at it in the seventies. Yeah, and he really so was. So confident, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I, I I feel like he did a lot more of it in his Marvel work than his DC. If only because Marvel was so much newer and there was so much more space Yeah. to literally just go oh, that and that makes this yes um, but yeah seeing him do it in Justice League is just great and it's so funny for me because like I have spoken many times about Millennium just being something I loved from my youth like I got my guy was just horribly 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 into and still am um, far more than it deserves and so like so much of that mythology is you know, thirteen-year-old me was reading that and was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. The Manhunters, like, why are the Manhunters not like the biggest bad guys in the DC universe? Because they clearly are. They're fucking. <laughs> no man escapes the Manhunters. What are you talking about? And so seeing him basically put that in place, it's so weird now. Like, I've never read these comics before and seen put in place. It's like, it's like reading the like the first draft of the Bible. What the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that was that was great. So yeah, I didn't get that much, but um, but what I got was great, and it was it was entirely playing to all my, like all my interests and all my my, like comic book fetishes. What was surprising for me was how much stuff wasn't there. Uh, I was really looking to get some back issues of Super Friends, mm. and there were none. There were no back issues of Super Friends to be had. Yeah. Uh, I was looking to get some Micronauts and there was no cheap Micronauts. Yeah. Oh, I should also explain, and Jeff knows this and, and listeners don't, like in a in a 50% sale off like this, I don't buy anything if it's more than $3. Yeah. Like I've said this limit. It doesn't matter how much I want it. If it's not under $3, I won't buy it. Yeah, which I, I think is is probably a really good rule of thumb. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's tough. There, there's a couple of things I have noticed and admittedly part of this is just looking at Excalibur which is probably the most extensive group of back issues that I've looked at but then shopping around um, all ages comics are harder to find than you would expect because they are treated totally disposably in the current market but they always have value probably because people like me are always trying to buy them for kids you know in their family you know but so Super Friends 
weirdly hard to find. If it's a licensed comic that where the chances of it being reprinted are very slim, it has a surprising amount of value. You know, you I am shocked. You wouldn't you wouldn't think so looking at the back issues of ROM, Jeff. Uh, well, ROM appears to be an exception. I don't know that, which is which interesting. Which is really weird. Yeah. Like, yeah, ROM is not, ROM is not going to get reprinted anytime soon, but like, I think I could have got the whole, the whole run of ROM. Yeah, you, I'm sure you could have. And in fact, uh, Stephen Williamson sent me the whole run of ROM and I've been meaning to tuck in and read them for a while now. And I, I, but but Micronauts weirdly impossible to find in that sense it seems to me and I don't and I don't know if that's the case but you know like there was there's a few times where I'm like maybe and I'm, maybe I'm just not looking at the right back issue bins but I'm like I want to piece together a small collection of like Atari Force and read that and that seems like weirdly hard to find as far as yeah. I can tell yeah. you know so there's stuff the thing that is hilarious about comic book industry is there are books that are utterly worthless and yet technically because they are so hard to find they are the definition of what should be expensive in a collector's marketplace you know and and instead it's this thing you pick up a price guide and they'll tell you that it's a buck and it's like well if it's a buck why can't i find it anywhere you know yeah so yeah uh, one thing I talk about licensed books that was really cheap and I almost bought because it, it was so cheap before my brain kicked in and was like no this will be shit uh, they had a full run of DC's V comic oh yeah that would have been terrible Oh, exactly right it yeah. would have been really really bad but the fact that it was all there and like half price it was like 50 cents an issue or something like it was cheap and I really had this moment of like oh but maybe and my brain was just like no no, do do not do it. Do not, do not pick it up. <laughs> oh yeah, man, that is that is the problem with that damn brain. Is it kicks in? Well, there are times. In fact, I'm kind of at this point of like I should put together a list of stuff like the destroyer ducks. Like I keep telling myself that I want to pick up those destroyer ducks. You asked me what comics to look at, look for when you went to that sale. Did I even think to tell you destroyer duck? I did not. No, oh, before as far as I looked it up, and it wasn't there. Ah, see, because you're more on it than I am for sure but uh, yeah you know well, also also because I was looking for all the old Kirby I was looking for all the Kirby you're, you're like on all of it yeah I know I'm kind of at that stage too where I'm like just just I might as well like let me at it the same thing Captain Victory I'm like ah, I wouldn't be that interested but I'm like well, who am I kidding I should pick it up you no, you, you you would. Based on that first issue, you would. And what really fascinates me about Captain Victory is I really want to read the last issues where he ties it into Fourth World mm, oh wow really yeah, oh yeah, Captain Victory is Orion's son, apparently. Oh, I did not know. Holy shit, that's great. Uh, and he somehow gets around it by not mentioning Orion and Darkseid, but clearly it's Orion and Darkseid. Wow. Exactly, right? So, n- now you must understand like why my I have my whole, holy shit, Captain Victory. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, that totally makes a ton of sense for me. I just thought it was more like when I read Silver Star and I was like, holy shit, this is like, you know, what I think of is like near the bottom of the barrel Kirby and I'm like, and there's still stuff that I adore in it. So therefore, I Oh yeah, just yeah, everything. no, no, totally. I, but yeah, Captain Victory is, I was going to say they should revive it. They did, they revived, Dynamite revived it and it yeah. was, eh. Uh, yeah. In large part because the, the writing was, uh, the, sorry, the art was 
not there at all. Mm. Uh, and and I think on a Kirby concept, you really have to have good art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, but also, they, they took it really far away from the original concept. Well, so. that's the other thing. I just, I'm like, you got, you, to me, I'm like, you do Kirby or go home, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't, yeah. you can't take, take it away from the, con- it, it, it's like, if you put the concept out there, you follow the concept, even if that's Rubik's and the Amazing Cube or whatever. So... How is your Rubik's and the Amazing Cube comic coming along, Jeff? Oh, very well, thank you. I think I think, um, you know, once I figured out the idea that that they are the same characters, but in six different realities, and so therefore, when each side is completed, it changes one of the realities. You know, but the idea is when all six of the realities get changed that's when armageddon comes i think that that's actually the part that's going to be the most exciting is is you know now that i figured that out i can start having the characters interact from the different realities based on which side of the cube gets solved or potentially solved well obviously i i've heard that alex ross is going to do the cover that's what I love about Alex Ross. He's like, you know who I love? I love the cavity creeps from that Crest commercial. I'm going to do, I'll do that. Yeah, he, he totally would. And he'd paint them like photorealistically and you'd be like, this is terrible. What are you doing, Alex? Why are you, Alex Ross, what are you doing? Shut up. Time for me to do $6 million man versus Bionic Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, you've seen that cover, right? Like, seriously. Which one? The cavity you know creeps? The, 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 no, you know the the Dynamite series really did do Bionic Man versus Bigfoot. Did he do the cover? Yeah. Okay. It's like issue I, 11 or something. I'm glad I'm sitting yeah. down. Excuse me, everybody. I'll be on the internet. Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like issue 11 or something of the series. Hang on. Bionic Man issue 11. Uh, maybe it's not issue 11. No, Alex Ross is great. He will. He'll well, be like, Electro Woman and Dino Girl? Absolutely. I watch them. I yeah, love it's, it's them. The, mm-hmm. uh, cover of issue 12, Jeff. Oh, my God. Google, right. Google image search the cover of issue 12. Uh, is It's called the Bionic Man, right? Yeah, the Bionic Man issue 12. Bionic Man. Issue number 12. Oh. Oh, what is that? Oh, that is great! That is a <laughs> that is awesome. I am so happy with that. Oh my Listeners, god! Listeners, you've just heard Jeff Lester achieve true happiness in this podcast. <laughs> it is true. Oh, that is awesome. Oh my god! But see, this is the other problem: is is like I'm always like, oh, that's great, but then I'm like, what am I gonna do? Because I'm not just a covers man. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure when you look at, like, am I looking at the interior art here? I think I am looking at the interior art, like, on one of the next pages or whatever. And I'm just like, it's the interior art is crap, you know? I mean, it's probably not crap. It's perfectly competent in a, like, hey, count yourself lucky you're getting $60 a page kind of way. But, um, Oh, Graham oh, McMillan. See, you were so happy, and then you weren't. You ruined it for yourself, Jeff. <laughs> yes. And so Graham McMillan has provided me with my own epitaph for uh, just at the end of the episode. It's true. Exactly. Well, it's... Yeah, we, we, should, we, we should end with you ruining it for yourself. <laughs> I think we should. We think we should. We can cut at the rest the of, end of this episode. Jeff ruined it for himself. <laughs> Bye. 
So good. So good. That was perfect, Graham. I was afraid I was going to have to do the by myself and everything. 